came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he had said these things to her. So ends the reading. You may be seated.
Praise God, my goodness. You know, I really have to thank our choir. They have done lots this week. And I, some of you have no clue all that they've done. You know, not only with all of their practices, and last Sunday night they performed, and then Thursday night they performed, and then Friday morning they were up at, what time did you have to be there? At 6.15? So it, up at four, <laughs> but up and, you know, there at the church at 6.15 for the uh, community prayer breakfast, and then they performed Friday night, and then they performed Saturday afternoon at two, and then Saturday at seven, and then this morning, and they're going to sing this service and next service and the service after. You know, you're a bunch of slackers. You know, why weren't you at the sunrise service singing as well? I mean, gee, if you're going to get abused, you might as well really get abused. I mean, how special it is to have people like this. And Scott, great job. You know, just so good. Thank you. You know, Scott's going to be heading down, and Sarah, are you going as well? They're going to be heading to Colorado. Scott's mom has been ill for a couple of weeks now. And so he's going to go down to be with her. So uh, keep the Vulmers in your prayers, if you would. You know, this morning, we're talking about the tomb. Well, why not? You know, it seems like the appropriate thing to do. Uh, as I was over at the uh, sunrise service, I, you know, my favorite spot is, is right there at the top of the ramp at the stadium over there where the people all have to pass by. And I get to hand the bulletins and talk to them and hug them and do things like that and one of the ladies of the church, you know, came up and she says to me, he is arisen. And the pastor behind me says, obviously she's not used to you being up this early. So, you know, I was going to start out with he is arisen, but I'm afraid that you would have said something like that. So I'm not saying anything like that to you. How appropriate as we come this morning that we have a cross that is empty we have a tomb that is empty, and that tells us something special. It tells us that we don't just serve a Christ that is on a tomb, or in a tomb, or a Christ that is on a cross. You know, we could, I guess, we could put Jesus on the cross and wear him around our neck and say, oh yeah, we serve a crucified Christ. You know, what good would that be? Why do you want to serve a crucified Christ? Guess what? All of you are going to be dead someday. All of you are going to be buried someday. One of the pastors who spoke over at the sunrise service, I, he made a statement I, I really liked. and You know, why didn't I think of that? But he said that death is the great champion. Because nobody had escaped death until Jesus came along. So we can worship a cross, a, cross, a cross with Christ on it. We can worship a dead Christ, but what good is that? We can worship any of you and with the same results. We can worship a Christ who went from the cross to the tomb. And, you know, great, the tomb. We can worship. In fact, you know, maybe we should start making necklaces with tombs on them. You know, maybe we should do that. Wouldn't that be fitting? Well, we took Christ off the cross. 
and we put him in the tomb. We could worship a Christ who is still dead. But what good would that do us? You know, we're going to die. We're all going to die. What good does that do us? But the exciting news on an Easter morning is that Christ is no longer on the cross. Christ is no longer in the tomb, but Christ has risen. I, I got to share some of the, the foibles of last night. You know, we got to the scene where they were going to bring Jesus in, carrying the cross. And, you know, our, our Kevin, our, our Jesus, he comes running in to change and, and get on his white shorts. They kind of look like, I don't know what they look like. There was a lot of blood on them, though. They were kind of like a loincloth, covering a lot more, though. Yeah, and had blood on him, and he rushes in there, and he's always in a hurry because he's got to get ready to get there in time to, to carry the cross in. And he starts looking around. He says, where are my shorts? And, of course, the disciples are all in there getting ready, and, and we start all frantically looking for his shorts. What do they look like? Well, they're white with blood on them. And so we're frantically looking, and then the soldiers get involved because they're out there too looking for these shorts, and, and we're all going around, and we pop our head and say to Scott, Scott, he doesn't have his shorts. And so we're out there trying to decide what do we do, and, and Jesus says, you know, I think I left him in the tomb. And so here it's dark, the choir's up here singing, and, we're, and the, <laughs> the tomb is closed, and we're thinking, how do we get Jesus' shorts out of the tomb? And I'm thinking, I could steal around in the dark, right over here, right behind the choir, but how do I get the stone moved? <sighs> Finally, it got to the point where we had to do something because there would be no Jesus, and what would we do then? And so we finally said, just take the shorts you got on. Thank goodness they were kind of tan. Just get the shorts that you have on, get blood on, and get in there. You know, it worked. Did it work? It worked. We got Jesus on the cross. We got Jesus in the tomb with his regular shorts. And we got Jesus raised from the dead. You know, isn't it interesting how we get hung up on little details? Where's the shorts of Jesus? I have no clue. In fact, where is Jesus? He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. Jesus raised from the dead. We serve a risen Savior. You know, if you stop and think about what happened that morning, you think about the ladies, Mary Magdalene in particular. And Mary Magdalene came, and they, they came together. They came to the tomb. And they came to help prepare the body. And they looked in, and there was no Jesus. What does Scripture say that they did? What does it say in God's Word that they did? Do you remember? They went and they told the disciples. Now, now think of this. Here is a broken woman. 
You know, she's undergone a lot of things. She's had a lot of trauma in her life. She lived a life that uh, was very uh, much of ill repute. She was a broken woman, and yet when she saw that Jesus was not in the tomb, she didn't know where he was. In fact, it says that she thought that the soldiers had stolen him, that they'd taken him. And so she goes and tells the disciples, Jesus is not there. They have taken his body. So what do the disciples do? Two in particular that we hear about. Who are the two? Peter and John. John isn't actually mentioned there except he is the beloved one, isn't he? So we have, we have Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb, seeing nobody's there, going and telling the disciples. The two disciples we hear about go running to the tomb. Now, obviously, one was faster than the other. John was much faster than Peter. And John got to the tomb, and he got to this empty tomb, and he looked in, and he saw no Jesus. Peter then comes, he gets to the tomb, then Peter and John both enter in to the tomb, and there's still no Jesus. Now think about this for a moment. We have John, the beloved one. John who comes to the tomb, peeks in, and eventually he goes in with Peter. And what does he say? He says that he believes. He believes. He is the beloved one, and the beloved one believes. Do you remember about John? That John was the one that as Jesus was being tried, that he was in the court there with Jesus? Do you remember about John, that as John was there and as Jesus was being crucified, he was there watching this crucifixion? Do you remember about John, that Jesus pointed down to him and talked to him about taking care of his mother? Do you remember this one? The beloved one? that loved Jesus so much, that gave of himself to Jesus so much. And he enters in and he sees and he believes. Now, now remember this about him because I want to come back to us with this idea. But then there was Peter. Now, now Peter was, Peter was Peter. I mean, he was really pretty skeptical about this kind of thing. Scripture tells us that he doesn't understand what went on in Luke in this passage that talks about this whole scene. It says that he left there not knowing exactly what was going on. He's the skeptical one. He's the, he's the different one. I think he probably had ADD. You, you think maybe? Because he was all over the place doing things. And you had to imagine that when, when the women came and said that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, and they start running there, Peter must be thinking, I don't know if I want to go there or not. I mean, I really want to go there to see what happened to Jesus. I'm really concerned about Jesus. But let's see, the last time I saw Jesus, I wasn't in my best form. In fact, I... You know, I denied Jesus a few times. I wonder if he'll remember that. In fact, I was the one who took the sword and cut off the ear of the servant 
of the high priest. I, I wonder if he'll remember that. What's he going to say to me if he really isn't there? If, if something has happened to him, what if he's not there and he's alive? And I don't know if I want to be there or not. Hmm. The skeptic, the one who went into the tomb and saw he was not there. And unlike John, it does not say that Peter believed. In fact, what did Peter do then? The Scripture says that Peter then went home. Huh, way to go, Peter. You know, the guy who walks on water, the one who denied him three times. The one who the church is going to be built upon him, the rock, <laughs> cuts off an ear of a servant. Who is this Peter anyway? I'm not sure if Peter knew who Peter was. Because Peter was different. The skeptic goes home. If he would have just waited... He may have gotten some answers. And then we read, not only had Mary come at the very beginning and gone to tell the disciples that Jesus wasn't there, but Mary comes back. And Mary waits there, and what happens to Mary? What does she see there? She sees an angel. And the angel talks about what happened. And, and then, who does she see? She sees Jesus, doesn't she? And Jesus explains about what goes on, and she believes this Mary, hmm, this, this one who has had a difficult time, this one who's lived a life that is not a good life, and Jesus comes and appears to her. So what does Mary do then? What does it say in Scripture? She goes back to the disciples and tells the disciples, not only is his body gone, but his body has raised. That Jesus no longer is dead. That nobody stole him. Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> you know, leave it to the broken one, to have the greatest victory. Have you been broken in your life? Have you been to wit's end in your life? Have you been to the place where you just can't see up from down because you're so far down? Hmm, broken. Mary was there. Mary was the broken one. And yet when she sees Jesus... She has to go and tell. So, what about us? This morning as we come to the tomb, and you know what's really exciting for me and some of the people here this morning is that in, in about three weeks, there's going to be 35 of us standing at the tomb. 35 of us who are going to be going and looking into the tomb. And you know what we're going to find? Nothing. Because he's risen. And we're going to go in and we're going to look. And we're going to look some more. And we're going to look some more. 
and there's going to be nothing. And there's going to be hundreds of people that day who are going to enter into that tomb. You know what they're going to find? Nothing. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was crucified. He was buried, but he didn't stay crucified. And he didn't stay buried, but he rose from the dead. My friends, each of us has our chance to go to that tomb, to see what is there. There will be no question that the tomb is empty. No question at all. Jesus you will not find in the tomb. But the question that will be there is, what do you do with what you have not seen there? What do you do with that Jesus? What do you do with that empty tomb? Are you going to be like John, who believed? You know, he didn't have to go and look. He didn't have to touch the sides of Jesus. You remember, who was it, the doubter? Thomas who had to feel the, the pierced side, the, the wounds of the hand. He didn't have to do that. In fact, do you remember, in fact, it's, I think it's verse 29 in chapter 20, which was read there. Verse 29, it talks about uh, Thomas's reaction and what Jesus says to him, something like, you know, blessed are those who believe who have seen, but more so those who have not seen and still believe. You see, John didn't need to have all of that evidence. John had the faith in him that he could look and say, He's risen. I believe. I believe in him. I believe that he is who he says he was. I believe that he is the Savior. You know, some of you are that way. Some of you have faith that just exudes from your very being. Bless you for that. I, I wish I was like that. I wish I could just say, Jesus, I believe just because I believe. Because your word says that I believe it. Hmm. You know, when I was working on my faith, trying to figure out whether this Jesus stuff was all true or not, and I, I really questioned. I mean, it was like, okay, how do I prove this? And, you know, it kept coming back to me. The hundreds and thousands and millions of people that would stand up and say, Jesus is the Lord. He is the Christ. I have experienced him, and I know that he is the risen Savior. And in those college days, as I was looking at that and trying to figure this out, and in the high school days, as I was trying to do the same things, it was, okay, how do I know that? Prove yourself to me, Lord. Show me that you really are God. And I kept looking and seeing all of these people. And finally I said to myself, you know, I really haven't found what you folks have found. But because you have found it, and because so many of you are there and you know this risen Savior, I too will believe. And because of that, I turned my life over to Christ. You know, some of you don't need all of that. Some of you have the experience of John, the beloved, the one who looked and said, hey, I believe. But then again, some of you are not like John. Some of you are more like Peter, 
that you're all over the place, that you have no clue what's going on, that you really want to be there and be in the middle of things and be the star of the things, and, and yet you have no clue. Anybody relate to that today? Some of you out here have no clue what's going on. Some of you had doubt. You know, if Peter just would have waited, he would have seen and he would have believed. But Peter went home. <laughs> the guy's dead. Oh, I don't remember what he said he was going to do before. All I know is <laughs> he's not there, but where is he? The Bible says that they didn't understand. John didn't need to understand. He believed. Peter went home and he doubted. Do you remember that passage that, that talks about when the disciples were together and they were praying? You remember that? And where the women come to the door and they knock? You remember what happened in that passage? Do you remember the wording? It was something like when the women told, in fact, it was Jesus that was at the door, wasn't it? And, and when that fact came out, they said, oh, no, it couldn't be. You, you remember that? I've got to look up that passage because that's a good one. They didn't believe. They didn't understand. Are you like a Peter? That you don't put the time in to really understand what's going on? That you really don't open your heart to say, okay, okay, I can understand now. Some of you are like a Peter. Some of you are like a Mary, that your life has been broken. And, and you might even be here this morning and you might be saying to yourself, you know, I'm not good enough to come to God. I'm not good enough to be even in the presence of Jesus. And the answer is, you're right, you're not. The good news is, or maybe the bad news, is none of us are. No matter how good you are, you're not good enough. And yet look what happened to Mary Magdalene. Jesus received her. Jesus took care of her. Jesus healed her. Jesus gave her new hope. Jesus gave her new direction. You know, if he can do that for a Mary Magdalene, he can do that for each and every one of us. <laughs> the beloved who believed, Peter the skeptic who was all over the place, Mary Magdalene who was broken. They have one thing in common there, and that thing is they came to the tomb and they didn't find Jesus. My friends, I don't care how you come to the tomb. Just come to the tomb. I, I, I don't care about that. Just come to the tomb. You know, last night in the middle of the night, you know, preachers are really weird. And you get a service like a Sunday morning service and an Easter service, and, and you go to bed thinking about what you're going to say, and all of a sudden you get these strange thoughts. And, and Mary, you told me something. This may not fit at all because I can't quite remember what you had said, but we'll see if it fits. If it doesn't, just forget everything I've said, okay? If it fits, and this is going to be perfect. Do you remember when you told me about Grant and how they were playing with Grant and they were on the couch and they put a blanket over 
the three of them, Robert and Melissa, mom and dad, and then Grant, and you were saying, where is Grant or something like that. What did Grant say? Well, make it up. If not, I'll make it up because I'll make it up and it'll sound good. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's her grandson. And so she was playing with him, asking, where's Grant? And they're under this cover. And, and of course, right here. I'm right here under, under there. Under there, you know. And, and, you know, there was no doubt where Grant was. I'm sorry Peter and John and Mary didn't have that kind of experience. They could have come to the tomb and said, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, are you there? He was not there. He had risen. And we serve a risen Savior. My question to you this morning is, do you come to the open tomb? Do you find Jesus gone? And have you done something about that? You know, my friends, that's what this is all about. If you serve a risen Savior, then you have life. You have hope. If you don't serve a risen Savior, there's no life. And there's no hope. May this be the day, if you have not already done so, that you say, Jesus, I may not understand like Peter, but I too ask you to come in and be a part of who I am. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray for those who are here today that as they come, if they come, and they come really not, some of them, knowing you, may this day they come and open their hearts to let you in. And for those who are here who've known you, Lord, praise God. They can stand and they can say, we serve a risen Savior. He lives today. Ha, thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we praise you. Thank you. Amen. If we could have the ushers come forward now and receive the offering.
He arose. He lives again. You know, you, you, I, I, I can just figure what Scott is like when he's directing one of the... Well, I really can't. I have no idea. But, but just a little bit of that, and I was sitting here last night, and I was watching this, and, and there's a scene that comes on here where the soldiers are standing right over there. The tomb is closed, and I know that it is written in the script that the tomb opens. First of all, lights start going on in there, and the tomb opens, and we're sitting there. And we're sitting there. And I'm thinking, okay, the tomb's supposed to open, and it was just that poignant pause. And, and maybe you had it all under control and it worked just the way it was supposed to, but for some reason it seemed longer to me. And I really wondered if Jesus was going to rise from the dead or not. And then I caught myself and said, you know, Steve, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you worry about. God's got it under control. And Jesus will rise from the dead. And guess what? He did. We don't have to worry about it. And we can have that life that only comes through him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go in God's peace. Go saying hallelujah because the Savior has what? He is risen. God bless you.